0: As we prepare to hear God's Word tonight, let's turn to number 169 in the Trinity Psalter Hymnal. Number 169, Master, speak, thy servant heareth, waiting for thy gracious word, longing for that voice that cheereth, Master, let it now be heard. We're going to sing all four verses, number 169, let's stand together as we sing. I want to invite you to turn this evening in your pew bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 1 through 14 will be our scripture reading and if you're using one of those pew bibles you could find Jeremiah 29 on page 833 and as you're turning there just want to say thank you to the consistory here at First Chino URC for the opportunity to come and open God's word to you on this special week of missions and thinking about the mission of the church I hope you'll be able to see a little bit of that from Jeremiah 29 And I also want to bring you greetings on behalf of your sister church just uh, around the corner um, in Ontario URC. We do pray for you very often in our worship services, and we pray for God's blessing to rest upon the work here at First Chino. It's been a joy to be able to get to know um, your pastor since I've been laboring in this area for about six months. And so it's a joy to be in in the harvest fields right next to you. And may the Lord continue to bless the work of the church here at First Chino. Jeremiah 29, again, verses 1 through 14 is our scripture reading and focus. May God now add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, into exile indeed the grass withers and the flowers fade but the word of our God will stand forever well what does the Lord desire from his people who are worshiping here in the city of Chino I think sometimes in the busyness of life with work and with school with various leisure activities and with many other obligations that are on our plate throughout the week sometimes we could perhaps lose focus of why God has placed us on this earth We see here in our text, God brought about social circumstances in the life of his people, Israel, uh, that were unique. Uh, He brought them into this time that we call Babylonian exile. And during this time that they were in, he had plans for them, plans for their growth and their refinement. Uh, But he also had plans for them to be a blessing uh, to the city of Babylon as temporary residents. And this evening, whether or not you live in the actual city of Chino or in a different city or whether you live on the outskirts of the city, uh, God has a word to all of his people in this text about uh, the reasons why he has us on this earth. Uh, It's no accident where we live. It is no accident the time that we live in and the place that we live in. But God in his sovereign wisdom and by his sovereign hand has scattered his people all throughout this globe uh, not so that we could live simply comfortable lives this side of heaven but that we might live first and foremost for his glory and that we might be his faithful witnesses in this world and we want to see that as we look at Jeremiah 29 this evening And there's three things I want to see with you from this text Uh, first we'll see our unique identity in the city our unique identity in the city second our Christian calling in the city And then finally, our hope of an everlasting city. If you look at verses one through four, there we begin to see, in part, our unique identity in the city. Now, as we go back to the Old Testament and we think about Israel, you remember how God prepared a physical homeland for his people. And really their identity as a people was intimately connected with life in the promised land. Remember, the Lord called his people out of Egypt graciously. He led them through the wilderness for those 40 years, and he planted them in the land of Canaan. You remember, in that land of Canaan, there was a unique ethic, you might say, that they had that governed their lives because Canaan was to be a picture of heaven on earth. Israel could not coexist with their pagan neighbors in Canaan. Instead, they were called to devote that land wholly to the Lord and even drive out their enemies. But as we come to our text, we see the context here is actually very different. Israel, we read, is they're now far from home, verse 4. We read, all "...to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon." God's people were now brought into a new life situation. They were now here considered exiles and outsiders in a land that did not belong to them. And it was God himself who was behind the scenes. In verse 1, we read that Nebuchadnezzar, that king, carried away the people into Babylon, captivity. But then we look at verse 4 and at verse 7, and we see God saying, I am the one who caused you to be carried away. God's people had sinned against the Lord, and so God brought about these temporary judgments, and for a season, God's people were going to have to taste these judgments as they were led into captivity. But again, God had purposes for their time of exile. He had purposes to humble his people, to refine them, to even make them ready for the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, as they sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And he had purposes to make them a blessing as they were temporary residents in Babylon. Again, living in Babylon radically changed how they lived. It shaped how they were to think about their neighbors. They had to learn how to live next door to people who did not worship Yahweh. They had to learn uh, how to have a hope that was beyond the physical land there as they looked forward to the promises of God being revealed. They were to build houses and plant gardens that they would one day have to leave behind. We learn here from a text like this that the circumstances of our own lives are not random, but are ordained of God. And as we look into the New Testament, we actually see that our situation as the church is quite similar to the situation of these Israelites living in Babylon. And as you read the Bible, you want to apply it rightly. And especially as you look at an Old Testament text, you need to consider the context. You need to consider, right, the biblical timeline. You need to consider how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. And now these words apply to us through him. But with those things said, as you look into the New Testament in places like 1 Peter 1 or the book of James, you see the church referred to as exiles and sojourners on this earth. 1 Peter 1 verse 1, we read, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. We see in the New Testament that Christians are those dispersed by God in various countries and cities. And whether we are today proud American citizens or other uh, citizens of a different country who are proud of the places that we live and who maybe reside in cities like Chino or Ontario or Pomona, we remember ultimately that word of God that Paul tells us about our identity in Philippians 3.20 when he says, our true citizenship is in heaven And that means alongside these Babylonian exiles and alongside people like Queen Esther and Abraham and Daniel, we live as people of faith on this earth. And although we are exiles, there are important differences between us and even what we see here with the Babylonian exiles. We learn as a church that we're an even greater community of faith made up not just of one nation, but of multiple nations on this earth, of every tribe, tongue, and nation who are called to be witnesses for Christ. And moreover, we are not scattered in this world because we are tasting the curses of God. No, we recognize Jesus took the curse of our sin upon himself at the cross so that we could know God's blessing And so we are scattered under the blessing of the gospel. We are scattered as those who are enabled by God's spirit to share that good news faithfully where God has placed us. And so as we look at this text, we remember our unique identity as the church in the various cities and neighborhoods that God has placed us. And this identity is connected with our second point of how we are called to live. this is kind of the main meat of our text here. Our Christian calling within the city our Christian calling within the city what does the Lord say to us in a text like this I think there are three words that summarize in part what Jeremiah is saying here we are called to participate in the city we are called to pray for the city and we are called to proclaim Christ in the city notice first God called his people to participate in the common activities in the city, verse 5 and verse 6. The Lord says Build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Now, if you were an Israelite hearing those words, you might be a little bit shocked by what God is saying through the prophet. Because remember, the Israelites did not coexist along anyone in the promised land. They were to drive out their enemies, not live with them. Moreover, when the exiles were actually receiving this letter in Jeremiah, they were not living in the city, but they were living on the outskirts. They had not yet moved in as residents. And why was that? If you look at chapter 28, it's because of false prophets. There was a prophet, Hananiah, who told the people that God would break the yoke of Babylon and he would free the people to return home in just two years. And so that message sounded pretty good, but it was a lie, as we hear in verse 9 of our text. God comes to his exiles and he reminds them in this letter that it's going to be more than two years. Don't pay attention to those false prophets. You're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. But in that time, God said, I want you to settle down a little bit. I want you to take up some roots. And I want you to build houses, plant gardens, and invest in this city that will not be your ultimate home. I recently read that worldwide, there's close to 5 million people per week who are moving from the country into the urban centers. That's a lot of people who are moving perhaps from the outskirts into the hearts of the city. Uh, The countryside needs the gospel just as much as the cities. Where I was privileged to pastor in Canada, uh, the church that I served primarily was in the outskirts of the city before we moved into the heart. The countryside needs the gospel. But what God is reminding us here is that he simply wants us engaged where people are at. What does it look like to participate in the city? Well, brothers and sisters, it means that we share in the ups and downs of the people that are around us. We willingly put ourselves in places and in settings where we rub shoulders in meaningful ways with unbelievers so they might come to know God. Christians can engage in sports activities in the city, book clubs, community gardening, politics, community service, the list goes on and on in those areas where we can rub shoulders with our neighbors. Christians are called to be hospitable people, people who are opening their homes to willingly uh, enjoy intimacy with people who are different from them, that they might begin to have conversations and reach them with the message of Christ. We see that as we engage in the city and even common cultural activities, Christians do so with a different motivation, right? We do so in a way that shows that our hope is in God. As we confess in our catechism, we do so with our labors that spring from faith, that are in accordance with the word of God and that are done for his glory. In other words, Christians and non-Christians both build homes, but a Christian builds with an awareness that their strength comes from god and that unless the lord builds the house those who build labor in vain christians and non-christians both plant gardens but a christian does so with a sense of dependence on god as the creator and sustainer of all things christians and non-christians both get married and have kids but a christian recognizes that their marriage is to be a living picture of the gospel of jesus christ and they raise their kids as God's covenant children you see we participate in the city but we do so with this holy motivation and this also means that as we engage in the city we do so critically we're not to assimilate to the cultural idols and sins of our day some Christians and perhaps even churches have lost their saltiness have lost their unique prophetic witness because, because they become just like the world that is around them. We hear the warning from the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, what does this look like? We, we see examples in the Bible about what this actually looks like in places like Esther and even places like Daniel. Right? You think of Daniel who also lived in Babylon. Babylon. When he was there, he was not trying to turn Babylon into Jerusalem, but he was serving Babylon in God's name. Daniel was educated in Babylon. He even participated in the politics of Babylon. But Daniel lived with a sincere devotion to God. And he refused to do those things in Babylon that were contrary to God's word. In other words, Daniel lived in Babylon and he invested in the city, but he never forgot where his true citizenship belonged. This connects us with the second way that we are Christians in this city. We not only participate, but we pray. We pray for the good of the city. Again, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. Here we see, beloved, the kind of attitude that we should have towards our unbelieving neighbors. God wants us to pray for the welfare, or other translations, the peace of the city. Now this word, welfare or peace, it's one that you might know. It comes from that Hebrew word, shalom. It's hard for just one word in English to capture the richness of what God intends by this word, shalom. It it references human flourishing and all of its comprehensive nature physically mentally spiritually socially this is the word that you hear often in the benediction about God lifting up his countenance upon you and giving you his peace now amazingly in our text God is saying to his people I don't want you just to be concerned with your own welfare I don't want you to just think about your own level of peace but I want you to be concerned with Babylon's peace. And God goes even further. In Babylon's welfare, you will find your welfare. It's not going to be ultimate welfare, but a level of peace for God's people is caught up in Babylon's welfare. Isn't that a bit radical? What a unique attitude God is calling us to have. In Psalm 122 the Jews were called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and now God is saying to his people pray also for the peace of Babylon pray even for those Babylonians that might have killed your Jewish friends and family members as they took you into Babylon captivity this call to pray for Babylon is really a call to love our enemies this is the call of Jesus in Matthew 5:44 Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This means we pray for whatever city God has placed us to live in. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for our leaders. We pray for people to come to know God's comprehensive peace, body, and soul. We pray for the downtrodden among us, the poor, those caught in addictions. We pray for people, and we even pray for those who are opposing the church of Jesus Christ. And as Paul writes in Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And that leads us to, to wonder about are concerned for the peace of our neighbors, right? People today are searching for peace, inner peace, world peace, peace in their homes, peace in their marriages, peace in the workplace. And are we concerned with the peace of our neighbors? As we hear a a text like this, we recognize that this is a high calling. If we're honest, living in Babylon faithfully means that sometimes life is uncomfortable, It's difficult, it's costly, it's inconvenient. Like Daniel of old, sometimes we need God's wisdom to navigate thorny issues as we're living in the city faithfully. We need strength to willingly inconvenience ourselves for the good of our neighbors that we can reach them for Christ. How can we love like this? Who can love like this? Well, I know one man who left the glories of heaven and who willingly came into the cities and towns of this fallen world, and who rubbed shoulders in meaningful ways with people who were very different from him. Jesus engaged with the poor and with the rich, with those inside of the church, those outside of the church, with little children and with adults, with those caught up in all kinds of sickness. Jesus came, and often he was misunderstood. Often he was mistreated, often he was misrepresented, often Jesus was even hated by the people he came for. And At the end of his life, the love of God was manifested in this, that Jesus died for sinners. Jesus came to bring peace between God and man through his cross, that sinners like you and me might be reconciled to God forever it might know everlasting peace and joy with our God. And this ties in, beloved, with the third thing that we are called to do in the city. Wherever God has placed us, we are called to proclaim Christ. This comprehensive and lasting peace that we're yearning for can only come from him, only from Jesus. And we see then that Christians are not only exiles in the various cities that God has placed us in. But we are also ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who belongs to country A, but they live in country B as a representative spokesperson. They represent their home country in a foreign land. In order to be an effective ambassador, you need to understand a little bit of the culture that you're in. You need to speak the language. You need to be able to connect in a meaningful way. But your values and your identity ultimately belong to that land that you represent. Beloved, God has placed you here as a church in the city of Chino as ambassadors for Christ. Therefore, you are called to represent the values of Christ in this place, to speak his message to your own neighbors, as you call them to be reconciled to God through Christ, that they might know God's peace. When Paul was at Corinth, God said to him in Acts 18, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I have many in this city who are my people. Even as we look here at the Old Testament, we see things that we are called to as the church, the great commandment, to love our neighbor as ourselves as we seek their good. And we also see the Great Commission as we're called to pray for the city and also preach Christ in the city, wherever he has placed us, all for the glory of God. And as we do this, we do it with a firm hope in our hearts. And that's the third thing we need to hold on to, even in all of our labors. The third thing that we see in our text. Our hope of an everlasting city. You see, here in our text, we see that the peace and the prosperity of Babylon was not ultimate. Israel was not to try and turn Babylon into their everlasting home because God had better plans for them. God had something even better in store for his people. Verse 11 God says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now sometimes this text could be misunderstood today. Sometimes this text is seen as a bit of a a general blessing upon all of our ordinary labors, a kind of text that's, you know, over the new year that God will be there to prosper our business, bless our marriage, and kind of, you know, just give us a good future in the year 2023. But the context of this verse, right, is sobering. Exile is going to be a long time, 70 years. God's people, for a little while, they're going to have to taste Discomfort and the very judgment of God for a season. But God says, I will cause you to come home. God's plans for good means that the exile will one day come to an end. And God will bring his children back home. Israel would one day leave those homes behind that they built in Babylon. They would once say, leave behind those gardens that they planted. God reminds them in this letter that he is not going to forsake them, that he will not forget them, but he has plans for good to bring them back home. And God was faithful. God fulfilled this word to his people. After 70 years, he raised up another pagan king, King Cyrus, who delivered his people, brought them back to their homeland. And for a little while, the glory of Israel was restored to a degree. But you know the story, sin still dwells in our hearts. The people of God were unfaithful to the Lord. More foreign rulers would oppress the people of God. And even the whole temporary setup of the temple would ultimately all be destroyed in 70 AD. And so where did these plans for good and for in security and welfare truly find their fulfillment? And it's in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the peace, and he is the stability that we need. He alone is our hope. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Wherever we live, in whatever church building we have, in any kind of city, it's a great blessing to have a beautiful building and a beautiful church to dwell in this side of heaven. But we always have to remember, it's just a tent in our pilgrim journey to glory. The Lord gives, and sometimes the Lord takes away. And that's true of a church building that's true of our own homes that's true of our health that's true of our work that's true of anything this side of heaven we seek to put our security in but god is saying to us here your true home in heaven and your true peace in christ cannot be taken away and christ god's plans for you are exceedingly good and your future in him is forever secure And isn't that such good news for us today? Because living in Babylon can sometimes be tough. All of those things that we thought were stable, our homes, our health, our work, our relationships. Sometimes God reminds us that they're really so fragile and so fleeting at the end of the day. But God says to his people, my promises for you are secure. Your true home in heaven is stable. And Christ is the sure and steady anchor of your soul. And so may we join our voices to those early Christians of old and declare with them those words from Hebrews 13, 14. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. For now we are to steward the good gifts God blesses us with, our time, our talents, our treasures, as we seek the good of the cities that God has placed us in but we do so with that longing in our hearts for our true home. Hebrews 11 says of Abraham and the patriarchs of old, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Beloved, it is the Lord himself who has placed you right where you are at today in this day that you were living in. And God says to you, make the city your home, but don't make it your ultimate home because Christ has gone to prepare a place for you. And the home he has provided is a permanent place of worship in the very presence of God. And so may we seek the good of the city by participating in it, by praying for the city, by proclaiming Christ in the city. And as we do this with hearts that desire that better country, may we know that God is not ashamed to be called our God. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, our great God in heaven, give us courage and give us strength to live by the power of your spirit as faithful exiles and sojourners on this earth. Lord, we're so grateful that we do so under the blessing of your gospel, that we labor even not for your favor, but from it, because you have already made us your own. Father, what great news we have today. Help us, Lord, to be those who shine this good news, to all that we come across. And we pray, Father, that you would create in us a greater longing, a greater hunger for that eternal and everlasting city that we are pressing onto. Thank you that even today, we are one Lord's day closer. And thank you that even today, you give us a taste of that glory that is to come. We thank you, our gracious God, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.